Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily NFL podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock. As always, alongside the scout Matt Williamson, you can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. We have to get into the defensive backs tomorrow, but today is Twitter Thursday. So this episode is all about your questions uh, after we tackle some of the daily news here around the league. You can find this podcast just like every program on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. We have another trade, Matt. So as teams wait for the collective bargain agreement, there are some teams that are still doing some things behind the scenes and making some things happen. We saw A.J. Bouye go from Jacksonville to Denver earlier this week, and now we have a new trade, a swap of offensive linemen. And this one's tough for me to take away because Russell Okun goes from the Chargers to the Panthers, and Trey Turner goes from the Panthers to the Chargers, still two years left, 15 mil per on Trey Turner's deal, and he wants even more money still now from his new team. Yeah, and trade these these couple trades have a lot to do with cap hits and you know money as much as they do players. And I think the Panthers, as we talked about earlier, I mean, I think that it's not a foregone conclusion that Cam's going to be their quarterback. We had some good McCaffrey talk early in the week, but I think they're very much looking towards the future and have decided – that they aren't going to pay Turner's demands long-term. So let's get something in return. And the key here is it kind of sounds like an even swap, but in a way it isn't. You know, Turner's younger. Okun has one more year on his deal. So he'll be the left tackle this year, so he stays healthy. And then I would imagine they'll send him on his way and they'll get the um, comp pick for his whenever he returns. So I think this is a move to open up cap space for a year from now while still trying to be reasonably competitive on the field. I mean, I, I, I think one of the flaws of what Miami did with their tanking, rebuild, whatever, and really the Browns too before them was you can't just throw – nothing out there at offensive line. You know, I mean, it's really hard to evaluate guys behind the one of the worst offensive lines in the league, and that's how you get people hurt. So I think they'll have a respectable offensive line while they attempt this rebuild. Yeah, and that's looking at that future cap relief, I think is probably a big one. And if they didn't want to do a new deal with Trey Turner anyway, and mm -hmm. from the Chargers perspective, this one is, is actually a little bit more interesting because it, it looks to me, like they might be upgrading at guard while looking like, okay, we've got this pick at number six. We're actually not going to go quarterback there. We're going to go offensive tackle in this tremendous offensive tackle class and upgrade left tackle at the same time. Do you see that as a potential long-term outlook for them with, uh, with the draft in mind, potentially going another way, maybe getting back into the first round with a Jordan Love trade up that we saw in Trevor Sikama's last mock draft at the Draft Network or maybe going the free agent route at quarterback and going offensive tackle at number six? I don't want to look too much into it, but that's how that's what the tea leaves are telling us for sure, is you know to take it a step further, if you're the Chargers, you could say we upgrade at two spots, we get younger at two spots, we've ignored the offensive line forever, Philip Rivers, like, it's about time I'm going out the door and you guys are upgrading your <laughs> offensive line with, you know, a trade and the sixth overall pick. And we know there will be a high-quality tackle there. I mean, I'm not sure who it'll be, but you're going to get some kind of premier tackle prospect, which is great. Um, but it made me think, 
to your point, maybe it is a trade up to get your quarterback, but makes me think that they must feel pretty confident about a veteran quarterback. I mean, I don't want to say it's Brady, but uh, maybe. I mean, I, yeah. I, I I don't think that's it, but it could be. I mean, if you're Tom Brady and you say, I got the six overall pick protecting my blind side, I got a new guard, pouncy returns, I got these weapons. I'm just saying that offense would be pretty attractive. Go to the West Coast. Another offensive lineman that might be on the move, the Redskins, according to ESPN, have granted Trent Williams permission to seek a trade. And Trent Williams is probably thinking, finally. So maybe a new regime in Washington allowing Trent Williams now to finally move on. Yeah, and what's funny about it is his beef was with the organization as a whole, but the coaching staff and specifically the medical staff. Well, now you've got a new coaching staff, and I've heard that they have a totally new medical staff, and um, <laughs> you know they need the they need the player more than ever. Haskins isn't the real mobile guy, so I would need a lot in return for for Trent Williams, and you always hear him linked to the Browns. I think I need the Browns first round pick to make that happen if I'm the if I'm the Redskins. Ooh, that would be a tough sell, I think, to get a first rounder, but that should absolutely be the asking price if you're Washington. See what you can get there. Um that's that's a tough one because the Browns, the Browns could take there, a tackle there. Right. They're thinking, well, why would we do that? We could just spend that first mm-hmm. rounder and and probably have one of those top four tackles sitting there at number 10. So interesting conundrum there for Washington. How much can they get for Trent Williams, a player that maybe they need as much as anything? Yeah, and he didn't play much next year. So his stock, whether he's a better or worse player than last we saw him, it's kind of been a while. You know, it's not exactly Lev Bell sitting out the season, but it's been a while since we've seen you play football. Do do we know that you're still an elite left tackle? I'm not quite sure. One more quick one here, Matt, before we get to the Twitter Thursday questions. Did you see the report? There was multiple reports that, said Eli Manning was having dinner at a Chicago restaurant with Bears Brass. What do you think? Eli Manning with Trubisky and a little uh, camp battle there for, I don't know who who could, I don't even know if that helps the Chicago Bears. What do you, what do you think about Eli Manning in Chicago next year, maybe? I mean, I said some things, you know, like on my Steelers show, that if the Steelers would have had Eli Manning all year last year, they go to the playoffs just because he could get them in and out of the huddle and all those type of things. I don't feel that way about the Bears. I mean, Trubisky, say what you want about him, was a lot better than Duck Hodges and Mason, and especially Duck, but and Mason Rudolph last year. He's he's got problems. They absolutely need to find competition. I just think Eli's done. I mean, <laughs> his head is still really sharp, but I would put no faith in him. I have enough problems putting faith in Brady and Rivers, to be very honest. And Eli, to me, is not an attractive option. With all the quarterbacks potentially available, trade, free agency, draft, Eli Manning, I mean, how far down the list would he be? It just doesn't seem like it makes sense if you're really trying to upgrade the position with where Eli Manning was at the end of, I don't want to say end of his career because maybe he's not done actually, but it sounds like that would be a player where they want Trubisky to still win the job. And if Eli Manning is able to win the job over Trubisky, man, how, how bad were you before? And is that really that much of a help? And does that push you into the playoffs? I, I agree with you. That's that's questionable bringing in Eli Manning. I, I would want more of a push on Trubisky, I think, than Eli. And I do think their general manager still believes in Trubisky. They're tied together. To your point, I think they do want Trubisky to win the job and he would beat out Eli and Eli would be 
a phenomenal mentor. You know, I mean, he could teach Trubisky plenty about the position if you brought him in under that pretense. But to your question of where would he be on the list in terms of who I want to be my starting quarterback that could be available this year, I would say on par with Joe Flacco. I mean, like narrowly above Matt Schaub, you know, I mean, like bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an interesting one. And, and, and you know, just because they had dinner doesn't mean it's a done deal. Maybe there's that's just an extra rock they wanted to check under just in case maybe some other plans didn't work out. Eli would still be potentially interested in playing, but uh, there is a link there. So now we've had Tom Brady on FaceTime with Mike Vrabel, and we've had Eli Manning having dinner with the Chicago Bears. So a uh, fun off season so far. <laughs> right. And these guys are allowed to talk. Yeah, actually. I think maybe they're just <laughs> friends. You know, who knows? He's just right. in town and want to have some dinner with an old buddy. Or maybe Eli's going to come in as a pseudo quarterback coach or something. Ah, who knows? I mean, I don't think he can play anymore, though. All right. It's Twitter Thursday. Let's hit those tweets next. We saved one. We saved a few from last week, and there's still some with the draft that we want to get to later on. And, and draft crushes and things like that that I think, Matt, you and I are both still working our way through all of these prospects. But mm -hmm. uh, one last week that I wanted to get to, we didn't have time. This is from our buddy Go Pats, a frequent tweeter. He says, is it a stretch to call the 90s Buffalo Bills an NFL dynasty that won zero rings? Most fans may consider that they uh, them a laughingstock for losing four straight Super Bowls, but blue chip talent, coach, and GM they had was amazing. Buffalo ruled AFC in their prime, and four Bulls is unmatched. Thoughts? Um, I think it's one of the most impressive team feats in the history of the league. I can't call it a dynasty, though. I mean, you yeah. got zero rings out of it. I, I can't call it a dynasty. I mean, it's an exceptional team. They're absolutely one of the best 10 teams ever assembled. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about one year. I'm talking about, you know, staying together. Um, Hall of Famers and star power everywhere, including the Hall of Fame coach, as he mentioned. But to say dynasty, I think you have to have a title or two. And four or at years, least two. Right. I mean, and if you, let's say they won four straight, you have to call it a dynasty. But four years isn't even that long for a dynasty. I think of a dynasty True. of like ruling for most of a decade. And they were good beyond those four years and it is tough because those teams were so great but the nfc was just a buzzsaw the late 80s and, and throughout most of the 90s the nfc was just so good and, and it's a it's really a bummer in the long run that the bills weren't able to get one of those but it's an interesting story and i would like to see uh, a deeper dive in you know a 30 for 30 a little bit more documentary style on those buffalo bills teams because they were really good and they deserve more credit right. than being a, a team that you know that is laughed at for losing four straight Super Bowls. They got to four straight Super Bowls, which is crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And if they win two of them, dynasty. Yeah. One of them, I don't know. I mean, that's one for four. and I can't give it to you. And your point about longevity, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure the year before Super Bowl one, they were a pretty darn good team. And I'm sure the Super the year after Super Bowl four, they were a pretty good team. But the Steelers won four and six. You know, the Niners dominated an entire era. Um, I would say that the Cowboys are a good parallel because they won three in four, I think. You know, then yeah. when Jimmy Johnson left, they got one more and probably should have gotten more. But I'm going to call that a dynasty, even though it's only a four or five-year window, and let alone the Patriots who have been 20 years. And real quick, I mean, like, 
all those team I mentioned, I would say had better legacies than the bills, but I'm not sure I could come up with five more. I mean, Lombardi Packers, of course, you know, I'm going to just go to the Super Bowl era. There's not that many more, you know, dominant stretches than when Buffalo had. Of course, we have a lot of draft questions here in the mailbag. Soli wants to know, do you guys think Denzel Mibbs is a first round player now after the combine? Close. I think he's top 45. I mean, I think he's competing with Jalen Rager, T Higgins, Jefferson from LSU. And you know, to, to be the fourth receiver taken and some other names I could throw in there. And I just think it just depends on scheme fit and preference of the team making the call. I mean, do you like chocolate strawberry or Rocky road? You said it there, fourth wide receiver. Who's going to be the fourth? Because I think it's very clear, and I'd be shocked if most teams don't have the same three guys in Ruggs and Judy and C.D. Lamb in some order as the top three, you know, slam dunk first-round picks. I don't know how high they're all going to go, but those are the top three consensus. Who's the fourth? And Denzel Mims could be that fourth, and he has some competition there, but... When you look at his Julio Jones-like workout numbers, when you put the film on and you can see him fly, you see him make some spectacular sideline catches. If you need that outside type of receiver, someone who can win deep, um, I I see a little bit of a problem with some double catching, fighting the ball at times, but there's just too much there to work with. Following up a great senior ball too, which might have had a bigger impact on his draft stock than the combine. If you told me he went 21 to the Eagles, in the first round, yeah. I wouldn't bat an eye. If you told me he went to the Eagles, you know, in the second round, in the 21st pick in the second round, I wouldn't be shocked with that either. But he's in that area, and I think he's closer to the first round than the second round at this point, and he might be your wide receiver four right now. I'm going to take Chenault out of the equation just because I'm not sure about him yet. Mm-hmm. But I do think the names I mentioned there, along with Mims, um, Rager, um, Higgins, and Jefferson are probably tier two for me. And there's still some great ones like Pittman and Ayuk. And I mean, uh, you know, Hamler. I mean, a lot of these yeah. dudes are really good players. But for me, the guy I like the most, and I just did a lot of homework over him the last day or two, is Rager. I think Rager is going to be a tremendous, tremendous player. And Rager's three cone was really bad, but I don't think that's his game. Yeah. He's not a, even though he's not the tallest guy, he's not your jitterbug slot type. He's an outside receiver that can win vertically. And when you look at his jumps, you look at his 10 yard split, which is, I think, the tops. I think it was tied yeah, with, yeah, with Ruggs um, for his 10 yard split. So it's that burst, it's that initial explosion and getting down the field and threatening. Um, and he had such a bad quarterback situation. Rager. Awful. I wouldn't be surprised if Rager's number four, but that's the group you're looking at, and, and they're, they've got a lot of speed. So uh, teams at the second half of the first round that need speed, I think they're going to have a guy there that they like, and that's why I think there's the run will probably start late one again for that next group of, of wide receivers, and it might last all the way through the you know day two. Yeah, and I know his three-cone wasn't good, but I heard some people talking the other day that Three cones in general for this combine were really bad for some reason. And I don't know if it was because it was late or people didn't try or, or didn't, you know, practice it as much or what the logic is what behind it. Again, that's not excusing it. But I do think Rager also put on more muscle, you know, to look good at the combine and pass the eyeball test. And I host another podcast. It's, it's about Dynasty. And, and we just did last night 
an entire episode about Rager. And I found out more about him. Like I mentioned, I urge everyone to check that one out in that he was the worst in the country. This is pro pro football focus in terms of percentage of catchable passes thrown his direction. 33% of the balls that went his way were even deemed catchable. I mean, he had no chance at success. Yeah, that, he had like six that different is so bad. 33% were even catchable. That's that's a wow number. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then another little nugget about him. I guess he was not into track and his high school coach said, come on, we need you. You're an amazing athlete. Come try the long jump. And he set the country record. It was like 26 feet <laughs> <laughs> without much practice. Uh, I love that. And you mentioned the three cone. There's been multiple uh, people that are smarter than me running the numbers and looking at it. And for I think it matters more for slot types, but for outside receivers, the three cone is almost a throwaway number and really doesn't matter at all. And I think Mm -hmm. the best uh, evidence of that was DK Metcalf last year had a horrible three cone. And then you saw him play and you're like, ah, yeah, you know what? I guess if you're going to be an X receiver, it doesn't really even matter all that much because and he's still able to run slants and put his foot in the ground and, you know, posts and, and get deep and comebacks and those things. But he doesn't need to run whip routes and win within three yards of the line of scrimmage. Right, right. I mean, depends what you ask of him. And I think Rager is much more. But a much better change of direction athlete than Metcalf. I mean, Metcalf's a little bit like turning a battleship where Rager, if you watch his tape, is very explosive in and out of his breaks. Percy Harvin's a real good comp for him. Oh, I like that. Percy Car- Harvin. Yeah, a thick guy, and he came in 206 at the Combine. So we'll mm-hmm. see at his pro day. He might run even a little bit faster, closer to the four threes, and, and get down a few pounds, which is maybe where he should play. He doesn't need to be that thick, but you know, it's nice to know that he's a sturdy as well so Rager's an interesting one Denzel Mims definitely in the first round conversation there's a few others we still haven't seen T Higgins run and he's been the forgotten man since he kind of bowed out of the the combine and decided to rest we'll see how teams feel about that excuse now I'm a big fan of Higgins too I think that he's a little bit of the out of sight out of mind right now but I think he's probably a superior prospect to Mims Cronzy wants to know what happens if the CBA vote is a no and as far as I know They've got it set to where after this 10 years was up, if no new agreement is reached, they just play under the old agreement for another until the basically until the new CBA is ratified. They're going to play under the old rules, right? I don't know. I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, the the owners basically this was a commutative effort. It wasn't like this is our proposal. This is what the cost of the car is. We're expecting you to come back and be a couple grand less. I mean, it was. We talked, which is what we think both people want. We're putting it out there. And they basically said, I'm paraphrasing, but if you don't sign it, well, then we're done talking for a while. And that could be BS. I mean, they're not going to, there's so much money to be made here. They're not going to ignore it. So I'm not positive. I mean, I'd be shocked if it doesn't go through here within the next week or so, but I don't know what happens if it does get voted down. I mean, I guess you go back to the drawing board. But I, I don't think there's going to be a strike, to your point. I, I know for sure. And there could be a strike. And who knows how that goes. That would go into the summer before that would be hashed out, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. uh, I know for sure it's the franchise tag stuff. The The new deadline was set is March 12th for the franchise tag deadline. If there's not a deal reached by then, I know it's the old franchise tag rules. So they would still have okay. the two tags. They would have franchise and transition tag if they want. I'm not sure about the rest of the CBA, though. Probably the old cap, too. I mean, these guys need to do business. I feel bad for the people in the front office and the agents and the players that are impending free agents. Like, they got to know the rules. Okay, more questions to get to. Some good ones here coming up on Twitter Thursday.
This one from Mark, and this one's directed at you, Matt. He says, if at Williamson NFL is Miami's general manager, does he pay the cost of a trade-up to get a quarterback, sit at five, and if three quarterbacks are taken in the first four, take Love at five, make the pick for a top position player, and use 18 for Love, make a trade back from five? What are you doing there if you're the GM for the Dolphins at five, Matt? All right, I'm not going to ignore the question, but it's you know it's March 5th, and at this moment, I am not using the fifth pick on Love. Uh, to me, he's not worth that pick. He's too much of a project. I would punt on quarterback and try to find a uh, – and maybe go with next year as my approach for one of those guys if it came to that. If the other three were gone and my only option was Love at five, I would take a tackle probably. Um, also – I need a clean bill of health on Tua. I mean, if I knew those answers, I think I'll give you five and my latest first round pick to get to three or two and grab Tua and just get my guy. Know I have him. He can sit behind Fitzpatrick for the whole year if need be. Maybe it's a Mahomes Alex Smith situation, but I got that bird done. I'm, you know, job number one is in the books. So I guess that comes down to. Would I take Herbert at five? I don't love his tape. You know, I mean, that one's, that's a tough call for me. I think that's where the rubber hits the road. I'm not sure. And I lean towards no. And I think you're foolish if you view this draft of, if the Dolphins don't end up with a quarterback, it was a terrible draft. Because all three of those first round picks could be offensive linemen for me. And I would say, okay, you've built yourself a nice nest for next year's first-round pick or trade for somebody or, you know, go get Cam Newton or, you know, whatever. Go get somebody else. So I'm not reaching because I'm not in love with Herbert and love for that cost. I'd consider Herbert at five. I would gladly take Tua if my docs say he's going to be okay and we don't think this is a chronic thing. Other than that, I'm grabbing the best tackle on the board, assuming, assuming Chase Young is gone. It's interesting because if you sit at five and don't make a move, that's either because you're not sure about Tua or you like Herbert that much that you're okay with him at five mm-hmm. to me. And that's probably what, they're be, what they'd be saying. But I'm with you. If, if I'm sitting there at five and Tua's already gone, someone traded up, or even with Herbert still there, I might say to myself, look, I like Love enough that if he's there at eight, 18 and maybe I wouldn't even trade up from there to get him, but you know, we, we like Love. We like Herbert. If one of them there is at 18, maybe we'll do that. Let's get our offensive tackle now for whatever quarterback is there to be protected. That's probably the route that I would go if you're holding your water at five because if you like if you like Herbert, that makes sitting at five a lot easier not go get Tua, and maybe they just don't like either one of those guys. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's a good call. Is It's not inconceivable that Love gets to 18. I think it's inconceivable for Herbert to get to 18. But could you do 18 and your second first round or last third round pick to get to 10, you know, something like that and end up with Becton and Herbert, something like that? I bet not. I think Herbert's going to go top five or six. So I think you're I think if you grab him at five, obviously he's yours. If you don't, I think that ship probably sailed and maybe keep your fingers crossed that love gets to 18. Here's one of the interesting scenarios that nobody's talked about with the Dolphins that that I think would be just a wild one, but it's not out of the question. So 
Dolphins, whether it's five, whether it's trading up, they draft Tua and Tua sits, right? Mm-hmm. But the sure. Dolphins could be bad again. What if you're the Dolphins? You just drafted Tua, but you haven't seen him play yet. And then you have the opportunity. Maybe you're you're bad enough to get the first pick in the draft next year and you could draft Trevor Lawrence. Then what do you do? Ooh, I mean, that's that's the Rosen dilemma, obviously, and somewhat that what Washington's thinking about now, possibly. Do we love Haskins? That's a tough call. I mean, you at least had the guy in your building for a year. You know the person. His tape at Bama hasn't changed in the last year. He's probably participated in some sort of practices. So you're going to know more about Tua a year from now than you did now. But the more and more... I think if you pick at the top of the draft and you think you can, if you're certain that you can improve at the quarterback position, you just do it. You know, like if Washington's convinced two is better than Haskins, do it. And if that means trading Haskins for a better than Rosen like deal, oh, well, I mean, that, that important, that position is just way too important. And I didn't used to feel like that years ago. I used to think if you're the Giants, if you're the Redskins, you took one, live with it, be your guy, build around them. But now I think if you're at the top and you think you can get better at quarterback, you just have to do it. I tend to agree on that front wholeheartedly. Um, Mm -hmm. George has a question. I don't care if I hurt feelings. I don't care if I drove the car off the lot and it's only worth 75 cents on the dollar. I got better at quarterback. That's all I care about. It's it's the one position you can do that. And if the players don't like it, Okay, well, you found out a lot about one of those guys who wilts and doesn't want to compete for his job. Yeah, and the players will start liking it when Joe Burrow shows up and does LSU things. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you go win championships with one of the two quarterbacks, and people will be, okay, thank God we did that. Yeah, I don't think the Chiefs are complaining that they traded up for Mahomes even though they thought they had a quarterback in place. There's not a single report, media member, fan, I've heard say that they're not glad, being a Cardinals fan, that... They made right, the move for exactly. Kyler Murray last year. Perfect example. Like, yeah, I mean, I, would where would they be with Rosen and Bosa right now? Probably picking first overall. And, <laughs> yeah, probably maybe getting maybe right. to us. And then get up with Burrow, Burrow, and that'd be great. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about butterfly effect and all that. But they're happy with Kyler Murray. Therefore, they made the right decision. And I tend to think, I mean, this is slamming Rosen, but I think that two organizations now have come to the conclusion that Rosen is not a franchise quarterback and probably never will be. George has an interesting question that's that's hard to answer. He says, two-thirds of a year later, what impact do you think Andrew Luck's retirement has had on the NFL or will have competitively and in terms of the way teams handle their players? Well, I think that there is a trend... Luck, Keekly, I'm sure we can name a lot that star millionaire players are going to be less likely to play 12, 15 years and could retire in their prime or around their prime. You know, Keekly is probably a little past, but certainly a lot of good football in them. So I do think that's a trend that NFL fans and owners better get used to. You know, there's they're the body and, this, and the brain and all the different stuff we've learned and all the money they have. Um, in terms of the Colts, I know this isn't exactly what he asked, but this time last year, or even later into the year, so right the day before Luck retired, my pick to win the Super Bowl last year was the Indianapolis Colts. And I didn't feel real strong about any of the AFC teams. And I still picked them to win the division after he retired. I think they're a very, very well-run, strong organization. 
And I think people forget that besides Mahomes, I think Luck was the best quarterback in the NFL in 2018. Like he was first overall pick, superstar, hitting his prime, underrated in my opinion at that point. I thought he was the second best quarterback in the league the day he retired. And that's massive. I mean, with all respect to the Chiefs, and I very much believe the AFC West is the new AFC East where it's the you know, one stud team and the pips. And I'm not so sure that we wouldn't be calling the Colts the next dynasty. I mean, I'm just not so sure. And I think it was a unique situation where everything aligned perfectly for Luck, who was a very smart guy, had already made a lot of money and was able to realize, look, it's not worth it in bad luck you know, no pun intended, bad luck for him to have had those injuries that built up to that point and went through so much trouble just to try to get back and get on the field. And really, if I'm pointing a finger, it's at Ryan Griggs and the GM that they couldn't protect the darn guy because that was the most important thing. He's drafting Philip Dorsett in the first round instead of putting offensive tackles in place and offensive linemen in place to protect this franchise quarterback that he has. And then he gets broken. And so there's a lot of things that went into it and and made the the Andrew Luck thing happen. I don't know if it's exactly a trend that's going to end in that sort of a fashion very often, but right. it, it's something that's in the players' minds at least, and they're a little bit more informed about their health these days. I'm glad you mentioned Gregson. I mean, he's done some of the worst GMing in modern history, to be very honest. I mean, if you remember, they had extreme resources at one time, and he's out signing Andre Johnson. And, you know, it was almost like Daniel Snyder getting Dion and Bruce Smith. I mean, just not using your money or your draft picks well at all for a couple of years stretch there, trading for Trent Richardson. I mean, awful moves. I mean, crippling moves. <laughs> I forgot about and, the Richardson. Trade. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the first round pick. Yeah. And, you know, and luck kept that thing afloat, even despite, you know, the, 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 the guy running the show trying to sabotage it almost. I mean, pretty bad situation. I mean, it's credit to luck's greatness. I don't know Andrew luck. I know he's a very unique human being. I still think he might come back. I don't know why I think that. I just think that there might be that rumor, and then there's a little bit of smoke, and then he ends up with Belichick for the next 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Dude, you know, I hope he comes back, even if it is with the Patriots. Oh, I but, do. yeah, I mean, because he's, he's, he's good for the NFL. He's a great player. He's Like you said, he was the second-best quarterback in the league when he retired. Be Having a chance to get fully healthy, stay away from it, remind himself how much he loves the game, I wouldn't be shocked if he decided to come back. Yeah, I mean, travel the world, do all those things, and then realize uh, football is a part of my life. My dad was a player. I'm a good player. Well, I I still have years left. Let's give it a shot. I mean, I don't think it's crazy talk. I don't know him at all. Maybe he's totally set in his ways, but I'd love for him to come back. We're out of time here, Matt. I want to address JD's question. He says, I try to catch every pod. Thank you, JD. I appreciate that. He says, have you guys listed your top need for each team in the NFL yet? No, no, we have not, but we have plenty of time this offseason. We will get into the mm-hmm. team needs and do all that stuff. So look forward to that coming up for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's something I tend to do. And maybe we'll go division by division, pick one need, you know, something like that. That could even start next week, something along those lines. And of course, they'll, they'll, they'll we should do it a couple times throughout the year, maybe once before free agency, once after free agency, once after the draft, biggest remaining hole, things like that. Absolutely. Next week's going to be big. We'll start learning about those franchise tags. We'll get a little bit closer to the March 18th new league year beginning. Hopefully have some CBA news as well. The the legal tampering period starts March 16th. So next week's a really good one to start hitting that free agency hard. And we will right here, Locked on NFL.